The other day I was talking to Robin about Easter and about everything we had to get, get done and everything, and, and I said, uh, I haven't even decided what I'm going to preach on on Easter Sunday yet. And Robin, being the extremely helpful wife that she is, said, how about the resurrection? And I, I thought for a moment about, well, what do I say to such an obvious answer? And I said, yeah, it's been done. Uh, now, I don't know if you guys realise it or not, but when someone's been a preacher in the one location for 10 or 12 years or more, uh, Christmas and Easter actually become very difficult times to try and to decide what Bible passage you're going to preach on it and what you're going to say. Because obviously at Christmas time, we want to preach on the incarnation. Uh, obviously at Easter time, we want to preach on the resurrection. But we also feel that we have to give a fresh perspective on it every year. And for some people... Christmas and Easter, well, that's the only times that they'll ever turn up at church. And so we feel, right, well, the message has to be evangelical. It has to be something that's going to make the hardest of hearts crumble and make the prodigal son just, just want to return home to his father. And the problem that we preachers have is we delude ourselves and we convince ourselves that, that we're actually more memorable than what we really are. Um, and so we sort of think, yeah, I preached on that passage eight years ago. Everybody's heard that one. Um, whereas the fact of the matter is that everybody's probably forgotten what the preacher said by lunchtime on the day that they said it, um, which is just as well, uh, because when I was about halfway through preparing this message, I was thinking, at the start, I thought, now this message is just totally, the Bible passage I've chosen is nowhere, it's not a normal Easter passage. We're going to be right for this one. And I was about halfway through and I was trying to think of an illustration. I thought of an illustration. I thought, that's a good one. I've used that before. To save rewriting it, I'll just search for it on the computer and find it. And I found it. And guess what message it was in? Easter 2016. <laughs> I preached on the same passage last year, so I hope you've all forgotten what I said last year, um, so that this will be new and fresh for you. Um, let's see how good our memories are. So as I mentioned, today isn't really the standard resurrection message. In our current series, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation, and, and once I realised that I preached on this uh, Easter time last year, I remembered why we're preaching on the book of Revelation, because after I preached from this last year, somebody came to me and said, could we have a series on Revelation? Um, so this is what started it all, and, and this is where we're back to now. So currently in Revelation, we've been working our way through the book of Revelation. We're only up, actually up to chapter 3, um, but for today, we're going to jump forwards to chapter 5, because in chapter 5 is where we catch a glimpse of the throne room of heaven and we encounter the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And so this is going to be a little bit back to front because we're putting the cart before the horse. It's going to be another couple of weeks yet before we get to Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation chapter 4 is where it describes the throne room of heaven. So here's a little bit of a description of it now. It describes the Lord our God on his throne. And there's 24 elders on their thrones surrounding the throne of God. And there's four living creatures on each side of the throne. And every being in heaven is worshipping the Lord our God, the Lord Almighty. Now that's just a little picture of the throne room of heaven. Now I'm not going to explain it now. We'll leave that for a few weeks time when we get to it and we'll look at it properly. But now we get to Revelation chapter 5 and I'll read that for you now. Verse 1. 
Then I saw in the right hand of him who is seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who is seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who is slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honour and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all as it is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Be blessing and honour and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. When the vision of Revelation first began, Jesus said to John, you need to write this stuff down. What you're about to see and what you're going to hear is what I'm going to do in the world. And John knew that it was going to be significant because Jesus had already said to him, that he had the keys to death and Hades. Right? So this was going to be a matter of life and death, of eternal life and eternal death. And because we have a number of visitors here today um, who haven't been part of our whole series, I'm going to re-say something we said quite a lot at the beginning. And that is Revelation, the, the book of Revelation, it's a, it's a pretty hard book to understand. Who finds it difficult to understand when they read the book of Revelation? Yep. Okay. Now, the reason for that is it's what's called apocalyptic literature. That means it gives us a message through pictures, through images. And all of these images in the book of Revelation have meanings. And some of these meanings are revealed to us. So some of them are revealed as we read the Old Testament that uses similar images and explains what these images mean. Sometimes the images are explained within the book of Revelation itself. 
Sometimes we're told in other parts of the Bible what the images mean. Sometimes images are just obvious and self-evident and they just speak for themselves. And sometimes we don't know what the images mean. And we won't know until the point in history where it all, all of a sudden makes sense to us as God makes it obvious. So for this, for example, in, in this morning's reading, we've got a whole bunch of images there. We've got an image of a lamb. Now, what do you picture when you think of a lamb? Do you picture something like that? Not usually. Usually when we picture a lamb, we picture this cute little cuddly thing that we might want to feed with a bottle or something. Um, but biblically speaking, that's not the type of lamb that it's talking about here. The Greek word for lamb is anion. And where it's used in the Bible, it's used of the Passover lamb. And, a, and, the, and it's a ram lamb of at least a year old. Right? So it's not a cute little cuddly thing. It's more like what I've got a picture on the screen up there. Um, so for those who understand sheep, we're talking about a two-tooth ram or a ram hoggett. Uh, depending on your definition. There's nothing cute and cuddly about it. And the Passover lamb that they killed to celebrate the Passover was a ram of at least a year old. Two years old, a two-tooth ram. A ram in its youthful prime, strong and vigorous, but not old and crusty. And so it's obvious to us here that, that the image of this young ram in its youthful prime, is an image of Jesus in the prime of life who died at the Passover. And so Jesus was like the Passover lamb who died to save us. And then as we continue reading this revelation, the image starts to get weird. This young ram has seven eyes and seven horns. Now, I'm sort of assuming you don't need me to tell you, to fill you in, that that's not normal. Scribo, if you had a sheep with seven eyes, would you breed from it? No, not unless you're thinking of an oddity that you want to go, I've got seven-eyed sheep, everybody. Um, we don't do that. There's, no, there's nothing normal about this. What, what's this all about? Well, don't get freaked out. Don't get scared off from heaven thinking, Ooh, there's mutant animals roaming the, roaming the palaces of heaven. Um, that's not what it's saying. Remember, the book of Revelation is giving us a message in images. And this is an image which is telling us something about Jesus. Seven is the number for perfect or complete, okay? A horn is a symbol of strength or power. So what do you think it means if this sheep has seven horns? What's it mean? Complete power, complete authority. What's it mean if, if this sheep has seven eyes? It means this sheep sees everything. Who's the sheep? Jesus. All right, so this is telling us that Jesus Christ, the risen Lord Jesus Christ, has complete strength. He has all power and all authority. He has seven eyes, so he sees everything. You know that when Jesus came to earth, he had to lower himself to become a human. And at that point, Jesus wasn't 
able to be what we call omniscient or omnipresent, right? He couldn't be everywhere at once. He couldn't see everything at once. He couldn't know everything at once. He only knew what the Father showed him. But now, now that Jesus has risen from the dead and now that Jesus has ascended into heaven and now that he is glorified, he does see everything. He does know everything. He is omniscient. He is omnipresent. He is supremely powerful and all-knowing. Right? So that's what this weird image of seven horns and seven eyes on the sheep means. And that's the way that the book of Revelation uses images. You keeping up following this? Good? Okay. Where are we up to? All right. John knew that in this vision, Jesus was going to reveal to him the destiny of the world. And he finds himself in chapter 4 in the throne room of heaven. And God the Father is on his throne and, and he's holding a scroll in his right hand. And in chapter 5... This is where he sees a scroll, and John must surely sense this is the destiny of the world. Who would want to see what was in that scroll? If you're in John's position, you'd want to see it, wouldn't you? Right? You know that this scroll holds the destiny of the world. And it's jam-packed. It's written on the front and on the back. But then John's anticipation gives way to uncontrollable grief. No one in all of heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open it. No one was worthy. And John began to weep uncontrollably because there it was. It was right there. He was longing to know what was in it, just like we are. But it was sealed shut and there was nobody worthy to open it. There was nobody worthy to open the scroll to read what was in it. There was nobody worthy to break the seals. Now, this scroll, it contained the destiny of the world, the salvation of the disciples of Jesus Christ, the judgment of the world, the chaining and the destruction of Satan, the glorious new heaven and the new earth, and the seals were going to be broken one by one, each seal setting into motion God's planned destiny for the whole universe. It was all there, it was all ready to be revealed, all ready to begin. But no one was worthy. And John bawled his eyes out. He just cried until one of the elders said to him, Weep no more. Look, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And John looks around for this lion, and what's he see? He sees a lamb, this ram lamb with all of its weird horns and all of its weird eyes. And this ram looked like it had been slain. That means it had every appearance that it had been killed. Because it had been killed. But it was alive. Um, not like Frankenstein's monster, but it's alive! It's alive! And so Jesus took the scroll, and as he did... He received authority to reveal 
and to set into motion the world's final destiny. Now, what gave Jesus that authority? Why was he the only one who was worthy? Because there was nobody else who was worthy. God the Father was sitting right there on his throne, holding on to the scroll, but no one was found worthy until the Lamb appeared. Why? Why was he worthy? Well, we're told that he was worthy because he is the one who conquered. All right, well, how did Jesus conquer? Jesus is worthy to be in control of the world's destiny because first he died to save the world. Jesus didn't come to the world as some kind of disconnected cosmic judge who's just going to come and land on planet Earth and and reap destruction upon everybody. Jesus entered his creation to suffer by the hand of his creation in order to save his creation. And because of this, because he did this for the world, Jesus is the one who is worthy to set into motion the final redemption and the final judgment because he is the one who was killed and it is by his blood that he brought people back for God. And that's what we talked about on Good Friday, what it means for Jesus to die to redeem his people, to buy us back. And Jesus didn't just buy back the good people with his blood. He didn't just shed his blood for the descendants of Abraham. Jesus shed his blood for every tribe, every language, yes, even those who speak Scottish, (laughs) and for every people and every nation. And by his blood, he has brought into being a new kingdom, a kingdom of priests, holy to God. As disciples of Jesus Christ, we are his new kingdom and we shall reign with him on earth. And on this Easter Sunday, it is because Jesus is the risen crucified one that he is worthy to have control over history. Jesus is worthy of all glory, honour and praise. He's worthy to receive our blessings. Have you ever wondered, is it, is it right to pray to Jesus or not? Hmm, have you ever wondered that? I know I used to wonder it. Well, we get our answer right here. As soon as Jesus received the scroll, which contained the destiny of the world, the 24 elders fell down before him. They were holding harps, which is a symbol of worship. All right, so what's that telling us? It is right to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. If it's right for the beings of heaven to worship the Lord Jesus Christ, it's right for us to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. And they held golden bowls full of incense. And here we're told what this represents. These golden bowls full of, rep- full of incense represent the prayers of the saints. And they are offered to Jesus. So this is telling us, yes, it is right for us to pray to Jesus. And it is right for us to worship Jesus. 
Jesus Christ is worthy of all power and all glory. And he's worthy of our worship. Why? Because he died to save us. He died to buy us back. And now that he has risen from the dead, he has all power and all authority and all glory and all blessing belong to him. And we're going to see this as we continue in this book of Revelation. We're going to see how it is Jesus Christ, the one who died and yet the one who lives, who controls history. It is Jesus Christ who continues to try and redeem people, to try and get people to turn back to him. And it is Jesus Christ who will bring about the time of judgment. And we're going to continue to see that it's Jesus Christ who is worthy to be worshipped. Now that's all I got for today. Because I want us to spend a bit of time now worshipping the risen Lord Jesus Christ. If the musos can come on up. And this first song that we're having now is, it's, a, it's actually called Revelation Song. And it's a picture of worship in the very throne room of heaven. And I want you to know that when we worship God and when we worship the Lord Jesus Christ, our praises aren't just human praises. They're joined with the songs of the angels and the 24 elders surrounding the throne. Let's worship God.